Thank you so much for joining me on the She Finds Joy show today. I'm so honored that you chose to listen to this episode. As always, this conversation will be continued in my free private Facebook group called She Finds Joy. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other people just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we drop a new episode every other Wednesday. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to kimstrobel.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcast where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down just a little bit, you can leave a five-star review and write a few sentences letting me know what you thought. It's so very important to get people to leave a review for my podcast. The reviews help me get higher on the iTunes list, and that will show up when people are searching for a new podcast, and it will really help us get new subscribers. So if I could ask one little favor for you just to go to kimstrobel.com forward slash review, give us a review and give us a comment and let us know what's been helpful. Thank you so much for listening in. I am really honored to be a part of this community with you. Hello, everyone. I am going to welcome Dr. Melissa Hankins to the She Finds Joy podcast today. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Hankins. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited. I know. I I honestly, everybody who's listening, you need to know we've already had a 15 minute conversation and I'm kicking myself because there were, I said, I'm an exaggerator if Melissa hasn't already picked up on that. And I'm like, there's already been 72,000 great tidbits that we needed to record here. Um, but I want to explain to the audience how I came across and found you. Um, it was actually, we're probably two weeks out from the will smith chris rock oscars incident and i happened to be a member of a facebook group full of school administrators and someone had shared this very thought-provoking post that she had written and so i was like i've got to look this lady up i want to ask her if she would mind if i shared her post and then i dug a little bit deeper and found out that you were a harvard trained psychiatrist who has now kind of uh, transitioned out of that into more of a coaching realm. But before we get into all of this, Melissa, would you just kind of give us a little bit of the backstory of who who you are and what you do on a daily basis and kind of how you, because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Harvard University psychiatrist, um, Boston, you know, uh, oh my goodness. I, I And I love that you're just this very normal, real beautiful person on the other side of this camera. You're not, you know, see, we're, we were talking about how we get these images of people in our mind, um, yeah. but you're just, you're, you're just a normal person with this uh, amazing road of how you've gotten to where you are. But Go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit to my audience, please. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Kim. Um, I am a psychiatrist for, I was a psychiatrist for at least 17, 18 years. And, And during that time working in the Harvard systems, I was trained in the Harvard systems, worked in the Harvard systems. And, and, uh, during that time, I really had gotten a sense of, feeling like a square peg in a round hole. 
actually. And uh, some of the ways of going about psychiatric care just didn't really mesh with who I was finding myself to be as, as a person. And, and uh, I was also around the time, a, a couple of years before, a few years before I ended up kind of leaving my clinical practice of psychiatry and, and, and turning to coaching, I, I had uh, become this, I, I kind of knew that I didn't want to stay in medicine forever. Uh, and that was, I think around, and I can look back on it now and have a deeper understanding of why actually, it was actually a lot of limiting belief kind of uh, things that, that I can look back on, but, but certainly I was uh, uh, pregnant with my son, uh, who's now 14, but, you know, pregnant with my son, and, and I had this sense that, oh, I am going to have to choose between medicine or success, professional success or family you know, and I didn't realize it consciously at the time. I can look back now and see that, but, but I, I bring that up because I think that helped kind of set the stage for my later burnout in, in medicine. And so when I eventually went through my own burnout, uh, and, and that was at a point where I was feeling completely overwhelmed with trying to balance continual clinical work, trying to manage a, a family with a young toddler, my relationship with my son's father, whom I was engaged to was imploding. It was just all of this stuff that was happening all at once. And it was just too much. But yet on the surface, people would look at me and say, oh, you know, she's got it all together, this and that, until I didn't, until I was like just falling apart. And it got to the point where I had a thought that one day my, I, I had a thought one day my son would be better off without me. And, and I said, well, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good. I know at least enough about my professional training to know that that thought is problematic. Right, right. So, so I, I, I went in and I, and I talked to my boss and I said, look, I need to take a, a, a medical leave. And he said, oh, okay. All right. Um, that's, that's fine. I remember distinctly, it was a, a Wednesday uh, because he said, but can you come in and see your patients for the next couple of days? Because you have a full patient load and we don't know where to put them and we can't burden your colleagues. And so as the conditioned physician that I am, I said, yeah, sure, sure. Come Thursday morning, I, I had my first ever panic attack. Um, I was, I couldn't get dressed, couldn't leave my house. I called the administrator. I was sobbing, just sobbing on the phone. I said, I, I, I can't leave. I can't leave. I can't get dressed. I can't just total meltdown, total meltdown. And, um, and she said, oh, okay. All right. We'll take care of, you know, things here. I pulled myself together after 20 minutes because I had to get my son to school and he was in Montessori at the time. And I realized it, it was his last day of ice skating lessons at his school, like they were doing ice skating. I had missed every single one because I was always seeing patients. I was always working, right? And so I had missed this beautiful part of my child's development. 
And I went, no panic, no anxiety, nothing. Fully present, had a beautiful time, beautiful time. And it was just, I, I loved it. And, and I thought I was going to be out for a couple of weeks from work. And I wasn't, I turned it, you know, it turned out to be 10 months before I actually resigned from there. Um, and, but every time I went near kind of my work computer, I started to get anxious again. Any other time I was fine. Mm-hmm. So it was really directly related to, to work. And it was during that time off where I really began to do some, uh, for the first time ever in my life, actually spend some time on me for me. Mm-hmm. And first time I wasn't either working or in school because, you know, I put myself through school. I put, you know, I was always working uh, part-time jobs through school, through high school, through all of that, right? Yeah, and yeah. So- cause you said earlier that you grew up with a single white mother and, and you grew up in poverty, so to speak, you, you, you were talking about, you know, you, you remember your mom getting an apartment and you guys had a sleeping bag and there was no beds and a roach crawled in your mouth and you were scared to go to the bathroom because at night there were more roaches in the bathroom. And so I think that's important because you and I were speaking about how, yeah, you know, we can look at the the so-called resume of Dr. Melissa Hankins and be like, she is a total badass who went to, you know, Harvard, became a psychiatrist, did all of these things. Um, and yet, and you even said, somebody said, oh, well, it must be nice. You must've been born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And you're like, uh, let me just go back and tell you the, the 56 things that went wrong in my life before I was six years old. Right, right, right. It's so true. It it's this this assumption that we make about people, and uh, because we 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 always we see where they are, but we don't see where they've been. Yes, yes. And you and I were also talking because I was saying that I was explaining to Melissa that um, you know one of the stories I share from the stage is my own debilitating illness with panic disorder for a big part of my life. And sometimes I, when people introduce me or or they'll, they'll say like, oh, she went from walking, not being able to walk to her mailbox to standing on this stage with 3000 people. And basically they paint this picture of me just being this amazing person who jumps on a plane and zips around and you know, gives these talks and is super successful. And I am the first to say like, let me back up here a minute. Um, Yes, I'm wanting to inspire you. I'm wanting to let you know that you can take responsibility for your own life and you do have the ability to make it better. But don't, don't let me stand up here or anybody pretend that like, oh, she had it terrible. And now she lives this perfect, flawless, beautiful life because (laughs) You know, even though I can sit here and and woo you for the next 60 minutes and most people are scared to death of standing on a stage next week, I don't know. I might struggle to drive my car five minutes to Walmart. I'm going to hope that I don't, but to think that I am 100% fixed would be a misrepresentation of who I am. And you and I spoke a little bit about that, that we almost feel like people need, they want to know we're fixed. Right, right, right. Because people we we all have our own histories our 
trauma histories, whether it's big T trauma, little T trauma, um, you know, trauma is trauma. Um, we've all had our fair share or not so fair seemingly of challenges in life, right? And so when we when we see someone that we think, oh, that person is kind of like me, they've, they've been challenged in a similar way and they've made it, okay, I need to make sure that they have made it. But if that person then kind of falls off, has more challenges, uh, and God forbid they're in the public light, you know, uh, that that happens, then, then it's like, well, wait, what's wrong with that person? They should. And so we, we get upset at that person because really what that often can be is, well, geez, I saw them make, they're like me. They were like me. They made it. And now they're falling back off. If they can't sustain it, then how could I possibly? So I might as well not even try. And so, so then some of the, the depression or the anxiety or the anger or the frustration or the overwhelm just continues to pile up. Mm -hmm. So it really is recognizing that it's a journey. And we make, it, it, it's not this automatic like, oh, yay, it's a staircase, kind of go up. And, you know, and sometimes those stairs go down again. And then, you know, and then we kind of, you know, step up and we plateau and we kind of acclimate to the new, okay, okay, I can, I can get out of the house and go to Walmart now. Okay, that's good. All right. So then you get used to that. And then you, you start to, you know, build up from there and you struggle to get to the next plateau and it's like oh wow okay I can I can actually drive across the state now mm -hmm. and that that feels good you know and mm -hmm. and uh, and then we and next step up oh I can actually speak at my you know company's meeting I can speak there wow and and use my voice and not be afraid that people are going to laugh at me or my boss is going to shut me down and then you know but but you might have then you know uh, a step back where it feels like, oh, that's terrifying. I can't do that. I did it once and I'm supposed to always now be able to do it. That's yeah. not how it works. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think like for me, when I think about what you just described, I've always kind of felt like I go two steps forward and then I go one and a half steps back. Yeah, And then yeah. I go, and, and I look at, cause even when I had my really bad relapse in 2018, that just felt like it came out of nowhere. Um, I, I was saying to myself, this is how I felt at 22. I am, you know, whatever I was at the time, 40, uh, 44, how can I possibly be all the way back to where I was before I even had a diagnosis before I even had medicine before I even had therapy? Like, how can I be all the way back to that again? And what I will say is, you know, the person who was dealing with that in 2018 is not the same person who was dealing with that because I had resources. I knew to get back into my counseling. I knew to reread my books. I knew to practice my strategies again. Did it bring me all the way out of it immediately? No. I mean, I'm currently working with a psychiatrist um, because we're now going to adjust meds because I've been on Zoloft for 28 years. And so I now know that there are mm -hmm. action steps that I can take that are going to get me out of the gutter quicker. So that's a positive, right? And that's, yeah. that is where our power lies. 
Um, yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Because oftentimes people make that mistake. They feel like, oh, I've, I'm, I've gone right back to where I was. And you're not. You, if you can center yourself enough to recognize, wait, okay, yes, I've, I've, I've relapsed in whatever way. And I have more knowledge than I had, you know, back then I have access to more resources. I know I may not be able to reach out to all the resources or, or, or engage all the resources that I know, even the, the internal resources that we have over time. Uh, But, but it really is something that you have already started to have a toolbox yes. that you have then, and you have more tools in your toolbox. Yes. And I, and I have evidence that shows that Kim Strobel is always willing to do the internal hard work to make herself be able to leap forward again. Yes. Yes. I know that about me. I, Cause it's so easy, right. To get down. And, and, you know, that is a, we're, I had a million different ways I wanted to go with this session because I really do want to talk about what you wrote with the Will Smith and Chris Rock example, because I feel like it's such a wonderful way for us to look at trauma and how that affects us as adults. Yeah. Um, and then I also know that you have this expertise about this, the, the learning how to deal with stress and anxiety in, in your own burnout struggle, you know, that led you to what you do now, which I always find that interesting. There's always some type of catastrophe that kind of <laughs> leads us to our mission, right? Right, right. Yeah. I don't know why it has to be that way, Melissa. Uh, right, right. It's like, okay. Um, I think, you know, you know, for me, it was really interesting because when, when I had my burnout, I had signs, I had signs before and, and I didn't listen. I didn't listen to, you know, taking the time for myself. I just kind of kept going and because that was part of my sense of worth, my perfectionism and workaholism. Um, And that comes back to my background of this was my way out, my way out of, you know, um, food insecurity and money insecurity and all of that stuff that we struggled with when I was a kid. Yeah. And then, you know, and so you're going to do everything you can so yeah. that you never, ever even attempt to go back to that struggling life of a right. finding. Yeah. Right. Right. And then for me, there was an additional layer actually, because I was raised by a single white mother in, in Utah until we were in eighth grade there was racism there. So I had to be the best, um, the best white girl in the most perfect white girl in a black girl's body. Oh, that's so powerful. Yeah. 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 That is a powerful, that's a powerful thing that you just say that one more time. Yeah. So my, my internalized belief was that I had to be the most perfect white girl in a black girl's body mm-hmm. and that yeah that did a number on me what oh, <laughs> yeah. so it, it's no wonder that you what <laughs> yeah that you really became a complete overachiever really mm-hmm. in all areas of your life and then you struggle to sustain that especially when god gifted you with your child and now it's like oh my gosh 
I am so spent over here and now I'm failing as a mother over here. And this is causing dissonance between me and who I want to be and how I want to serve. And I, I, I can see where you had to basically get slapped across the face. And yes, yes. I always said God took me out when I couldn't take myself out. Mm, that's good. You know? Yeah. God took me out when I couldn't take that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh my gosh, such powerful stuff. So what I'm going to, I, I keep fighting <laughs> with myself here because this, oh, I can come back. We can talk more than one. We're going to have to girl. I mean, we are just going to have to, because I, I just cannot not read what you wrote here because I think there are so many tidbits and I want to just break it down and, and have you respond to yeah. some of what you wrote. But if my listeners will bear with me, because I think what I'm about to read to all of you is going to, for most of you, really open your eyes up to understanding trauma in its many multiple facets and how that trauma plays out in every single one of our lives, not just our students' lives, but in our adult lives. And so what Melissa said is, here, here's her post. This is what the result of unresolved trauma can look like. What many of us witnessed during last night's Academy Award ceremony between Will Smith and Chris Rock was indicative of a trauma response. While I am in no way condoning violence, I think this is a very public and important opportunity for us to all understand what a trauma response can look like. A trauma response can take many forms, some surprising, and it can look like slapping someone for saying the wrong thing, yelling at someone for not doing something fast enough or up to your standards, avoiding or not responding to a boss's emails about scheduling an upcoming performance review, having to do everything perfectly, otherwise you feel anxious, yelling at staff, throwing things around your office, or feeling frustrated and have a bad outcome at work. Not setting boundaries, working endless hours. All of these things are trauma. And when you wrote that, you also go on to write that when a, per a person has experienced trauma and you call it big T and little T, and I think that's the terms that are now used. And so uh, big T trauma. Can you explain that a little bit to us? Right. And so I want to preface that with saying trauma is trauma is trauma. So, so even if you, uh, you know, I, I, I put big T and little T because most people tend to kind of identify with that on some level, but it's what, if, if you've had a trauma that as an adult, we might look at and say, oh, that wasn't anything or whatever, but you were small, you were a child. And, I, and in my post, I talk about, you know, a two-year-old who accidentally, you know, gets it locked in a closet because the door closes behind them. And that's traumatizing for them because they might not be, they might think, oh my gosh, I'm cut off from the world. I don't know how to get out. I'm unsafe. I'm all alone. I mean, all of these things that will go through uh, the, the mind of a very young child uh, 
can be a big T trauma because they might feel like their life is being threatened in that moment. And of course they can't process it and say it in that, those ways, but that's the feeling, that feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm all alone. I have no one to take care of me. And as an adult, an adult being in that situation, they can go in and they're like, oh yeah, the door closed behind me. Let me just open it. You know, it's not an issue. So, so I, I say that when we think of big T and little T, it, it, it really also depends on your age, your resources, your history and all of that. But big T trauma, what people might consider big T trauma um, are life-threatening traumas. Things like um, uh, an assault. Uh, so if you were somehow assaulted uh, physically, sexually, um, these types of uh, assaults to your body um, uh, in some way, uh, a war, being in a war, um, that's a life-threatening kind of situation. Being in a uh, motor vehicle accident, those types of things can be big T traumas. So where people might consider, oh, they look at that and say, oh, okay, I, I get it. I get it. You can, yeah, you're traumatized. This makes sense. Right. Right. So, so somehow that that's like, okay, I, I, I see, I see your trauma. Okay. That I, I can relate to, or I can, maybe it hasn't happened to me, but I can accept that that's a trauma. Now, little t traumas, those are things where you might have been um, horribly shamed or embarrassed. Um, and, and like, if you're in a classroom and you are, uh, you give the wrong answer and the teacher doesn't handle it well and, 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 uh, shames you somehow and the class laughs or, and, and you feel like, okay, I can't say anything now. Um, and play out for the rest of your life. That little incident right there that we are calling a little T, but because we say little, we're not saying it doesn't have leverage an impact in lifelong consequences. Right, because that can show up, maybe not when you're going out to speak on stage, it could show up in a business meeting with your boss. That yeah. could show up in, okay, well, this is an authority figure, this teacher who shamed me, that means what I have to say is not important or I can't make mistakes. So that can limit your um, willingness to try new things in life. Yeah. Because yeah. if I don't get it right, then I'm going to be shamed somehow. So I might as well not even try. Yeah. You know, when I was reading your post, I was thinking back to, and I only made this connection in the last 10 years or so, but I felt like, um, I was kind of like the, uh, you know, how there's classifications in school and you have the popular kids and then you have like the kids that aren't popular and you hate to say it, but many times they come from like the low poverty families, right? Uh, unfortunately, that's just the, these little things that we grew up in school systems that were like this. And then you had like the middle of the road kids. And I was like a middle of the road kid, but I very, I remember all I wanted to do was be popular. I just wanted to be pretty like this girl was in my school, or I wanted to be in Mr. Beatty's room because that's where all the smart kids were in his he, he was their teacher. And then I felt like I was a middle of the road person all the way till high school. And then in high school, I start to develop. Um, I become athletic and I become so-called one of the, like, for lack of a better word, popular kids, mm -hmm. um, you know, homecoming queen and, uh, you know, just 
I kind of step into my, my worth, I guess, and I feel pretty good about myself. But in middle school, I was in a group and I was trying to hang with the popular girls. And one of them slapped me across the face in front of all the other girls. And she told me, shut up, Kim. We don't want to hear what you have to say. Wow. And it, so, so the way this story goes is I end up kind of having this core group of friends that again, for lack of a better word, are kind of like the popular girls. And after we graduate and get out on our own, we, we are continuing to hang out and have these little, like we called them girly nights where I would have everybody over and we'd have some drinks and we'd have a lot of fun. And in my mid thirties, a few of them who were the mean girls all through school, they decided they were going to kick me out of their group. It was just like a, a junior high thing. Wow. And yeah. I remember being 35 years old and all of a sudden I see that they're, they're now creating the meetings and they're not inviting me. And I didn't know what I had done wrong. And I felt exactly like that 12 year old girl who had been slapped. And I also was able to see that I had been like Brene Brown says, I had been hustling for their worthiness my whole life. And then I was trying to hold on to it. I was still trying to be one of the people that was in that group, even as an adult. And I was so, I spent the next probably four years feeling just at times like I did in middle school, like mm -hmm. I'm just not good enough. Like, I don't know why they've kicked me out, but I feel like I feel humiliated. I feel like something's wrong with me. I, I just wanted to be back in the group is, and it sounds kind of demoralizing now, just hearing myself say it. And then I don't know how I transformed that, but the conclusion I came to was I saw that those were never my people. Hello, everyone. I want to pop in here and tell you about the Happy Academy that launches in May. Back when I was struggling with so many things in my life, I found a secret that changed my life and caused a major breakthrough. What is that secret? Well, I found coaches, courses, and programs to guide me. And I started investing in me because I believe I am my greatest investment towards reaching my full potential. I want to invite you to join me for the Happy Academy, where I will teach you how to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back and give you strategies that will help you tap into the person you are meant to be. If you don't step forward with the confidence, believing in the power of your dreams, you risk sitting on the sidelines your whole life. Let me tell you something. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. The world needs your magic. Your time is now. And the world and you can't wait any longer. Go to strobeleducation.com forward slash the dash happy dash academy and get on our wait list so you are the first to know when it launches this May. They were never my people. Like I would never consciously choose to spend time. I mean, a few of them were, but I would never consciously spend time with that type of person now. I would not choose them no matter how popular they were. They're not my people. Right. And, 
it became like really freeing for me because I started to see that Kim Strobel, a lot of the time knows her value and worth and Kim Strobel gets to pick who she wants to spend her time with and her, you know what I'm saying? And, and so when you said that, it just took me all the way back to how that one slap played out for many, many years in my life in different ways. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, so many things from that, that just kind of went through my head of, you know, first of all, you know, we, we have a tendency to fault ourselves and, and, and get down on ourselves for a behavior that we think, oh, I should just be over that. Why am I not over that already? Or how is that coming up now? Yeah, and I was embarrassed. Right, right. And then we feel like, yeah, so we feel so embarrassed. We feel shameful and we feel like, oh, uh, you know, get over it, Kim already, or get over it, Melissa. What's, what's wrong with you? You know, that happened a long time ago when you were a kid and why are you yeah. letting, you know, impact you now? But the fact of the matter is it absolutely shape you as human beings. We are wired for connection mm-hmm. and we are also wired for survival. Mm. And the two at when we are infants, because we cannot survive on our own, um, we need the connection of our caregivers in order to survive. Now, as we are, are trying to navigate our, you know, path in the world, we are, are trying to still, um, connect with people uh, and and it gets kind of warped uh, because of whatever conditioning we may have that, okay, in order, for, we, we, we don't seem to realize that as we get older, especially as adults, that we actually have the ability to, uh, we have the ability and we can create the resources to ensure our own survival. And it does not, and, and I'm, and yes, there are, and I I can already hear, well, people say, you know, in terms of racial disparities and this, yes, absolutely. I absolutely acknowledge that there are disparities and, and, and inequities that absolutely hold some people back and communities back, uh, back, especially black and brown communities um, and indigenous peoples and, and all of that. And at the same time, I am saying that we have the ability as adults to create our own realities um, in in so many ways. And and that um, we can create the path towards our own survival. And we don't need to necessarily have, yes, we want connection because that is actually absolutely a a core part of our humanity to be connected however we don't need that connection as our source of survival as we did as uh, children and infants and so so but we still have that wired in our heads yes oh it's deeply in our work right until we do the work inside that says wait I don't need to have my worth and my value and uh, being measured externally um, for my own sense of being and my own sense of worth and value. That's not, I don't need to have 
the other person say that I'm good enough. I know that I'm good enough. Yes. And I don't need the other person to say, you can have this, you can be this. I can tell myself that, but it's work to actually change that internal dialogue. Uh, And a lot of people don't actually do the work because it's, it's hard. It's not easy. No, face a lot of crap inside. You have to face all of those. Like, ah, what are those voices? I know. Cause even as you're talking, I'm thinking that who is it? Is it Maya Angelou who like, maybe it's Oprah. I've heard say this before, like those people who hurt me, I I'm nice to them. If I see them, I'm nice to them. And sometimes I'm probably too nice to them, but they also are not going to be invited to my dining room table anytime soon, nor ever, because those people no longer deserve an invitation into the greatness of who I am and know myself to be. Right, right. And, you know, another, yes, I love that. And, and it reminds me of, and I don't know who said this, um, but something along the lines of, you know, the, the, uh, the space in your head is valuable real estate. It's priceless real estate. So just be very mindful who you rent it out to. Oh, yeah you know, yes. and, and so, so really, and, and, and that can be past people who are still playing the, those are the voices that you hear in your head that are telling you, oh, I can't do this. I can't show up this way. I can't, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or I should, I should be this. I should be that. Even if it's not aligned with who you want to be. It's like, no, this is what my parent told me I need to do. This is what my culture says I have to do because this is what, what is success, you know? Yes. It may not be aligned with who you want to be and what you are internally. Yes. And, and that those are barriers that we also have to break through. I'm also thinking as we're, as we're talking about, I know what my next work is just as I'm talking through this with you, because the way that, so even now I don't need, I don't need their acceptance. Like I don't need anything from them. Like it feels so good to know that like, you don't get to be in my life in that way. Mm-hmm. Now I will say, here's how that has showed up. And maybe you can resonate with this a little bit as well. I'm not quite there where I'm like, oh, but I wish you all the love and health and happiness and wealth that you could. I'm over here going, you know what, MFers, you're going to wish you could get invited to my table because look at what this bitch just did, (laughs) right? Like, look at what I've done. Like, you've you've motivated the you know what out of me for the last 25 years. And let me just tell you, sister, I have brought it, you know? Yeah. And so like, I can still feel that that's like this internal drive of like, what makes Kim Strobel want to be successful? There's a little bit of that. Oh, oh, well you watch and see what I do now. And I know that that's my work too, because I've got to get to the place where I'm, I do do it mostly for me, but I also know there's a part of me that's doing it to kind of stick you a little. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's being human. That is being human. Give yourself, you know, 
if you need to forgive yourself for that, if you need to accept who you are, yes, that is part of being human. That's where you're at right now in this part of your journey. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, someday I'll be that highly evolved uh, Buddhist monk in another life, but I don't know if I'm going to get there in this life. Right, right now, this is where you're at and I you're know. doing tremendous work in helping others yeah. as you're doing that. We don't have to have all of our shit together in order to, you know, oh, help Thank others. God, or we'd both be screwed. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, and I, so I love that you've explained to us like, you know, the big traumas and then the little traumas are things that we've maybe never even considered. Like I had not always considered that the slap in sixth grade played out in my life in, uh, in, in different ways. And so I want to read the next part that you said, because you said the brain and the body will store that traumatic memory in ways such that aspects of that memory can be reactivated by present day interactions and situations. Yes. Yes. And you said, when this happens, the person experiencing this reactivation, which means Basically, you had some type of trauma in your life and you got triggered. And when you got triggered, it reactivated some kind of, you said, split second processing on a maybe an unconscious, subconscious, conscious level. And that particular event that just happened is being filtered through the past trauma. Can you explain that and even correlate it to the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing, since we're just all so in the face of that right right. now. You know, so when we experience a a traumatic event um, uh, or when we experience any event that has heightened emotions, positive or negative, that gets stored in our hippocampus and our amygdala, our limbic system. I'm not going to go, you know, too sciencey here or anything, but but the part of our brain that that you know those it's a different part of our brain than that that uh, processes conscious thought. That's our our frontal cortex, Your our frontal lobe, yeah. Right, so, the cortex, yeah. So right, so so those are different parts of our brain. So when we have, um, and when I say a positive or a negative, I mean some people might have this beautiful memory of going to grandma's house, and every time you go, you have, you know, she makes you this very special chocolate cake that nobody else can make. It's like, oh my god, that's grandma's cake, you know, whatever, and and you sit at the table and you sit with grandma and whatever, that might be just a beautiful memory and you have so much joy and happiness and it gets filed. And every time now you see chocolate cake, you think of grandma or when you smell chocolate cake, you feel love and you you're like, I don't know why I feel this immense love. And that's how like food cravings can get started. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially when we're feeling you know, really down and depressed or sad or angry. And we're like, oh, I got to eat that food because that makes me feel better. Oftentimes it's because it's associated with a memory that has a heightened positive emotion connected to it. Yes. 
So, so with a negative, you, the same thing can happen with a negative experience. So something that is traumatic and you have a negative, uh, you have a fear, immense fear or sadness. Um, uh, and certainly with trauma, you might, uh, you often feel trapped and it's unexpected and, and you are unresourced. You have a lack of resources. So all of these things go into what a trauma experience is. And so when you are, and that gets stored in, in, in the amygdala and, and hippocampus, so the limbic system. And, and it may be stored really like a file cabinet, except for when you have trauma, it doesn't necessarily get stored really clearly. Like you can't pull it out as a paper and like read it really clearly. It might be little bits and pieces. It might look like it has some redacted parts in it. But then you access, but, but it's all still there. It's just in that moment, you might not be able to remember all of those redacted parts. So then jump forward 20 years and something similar happens. You know, um, it may not be exactly, but it might react. You, it might be similar in the sense that, okay, it's bringing up a similar intensity of emotion associated with maybe um, someone's tone of voice or a movement someone has. Um, and it's like, wait a minute, I don't know why that's activating this part, but oh my gosh, I'm right back in that moment. Oh my gosh, I have to tell you, you're making me think of, I, I just read Dr. Bruce Lipton and Oprah Winfrey's book titled What Happened to You? And, mm -hmm. and he is someone who has extensively studied behavior and, and traumatic, how, how trauma on the brain affects people. And he talks about this one student, I'm not going to get this totally right, but it was like a student who, you know, had been in 14 foster families and he was completely out of control and no family could handle him. Um, and then or maybe that was a different one. I'm sorry. This particular person was well-behaved except for this one teacher. And in this one teacher's class, he was completely out of control. He had behavior challenges. He, he literally would repel, like he was repelled by the teacher and the teacher was nice and kind. And they finally related it to the teacher wore a certain cologne. Do you remember that? Yes. So this, yes. So sense, you know, because when we have a trauma, that happens because our mind, the date stamp and the processing of that trauma is kind of garbled. So we might remember certain pieces of it and we can't put it all together. So we have, yes, you might have a scent. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what? It, and, and that reactivates. Um, another story I've certainly heard of a person who was sexually abused and the person who abused her had a bald head mm -hmm. so every time she saw someone with a bald head she just started to have some panic attacks mm -hmm. yes and she didn't know why i mean these could be perfectly no you know yeah nothing wrong with that person but but it's what the mind then associates and and you think you're going crazy you know yeah. it's like yeah hey, why am I acting like this? Yeah, this the teacher, so the teacher hard. was like, I don't understand. Yeah. I've been nothing but great, but 
they found out that whatever cologne that teacher wore was the exact cologne that this person who had abused this boy had worn. Mm -hmm. And so every time he sat in that teacher's classroom, like the prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, the logical reasoning part of the brain shut down. Yeah. And then out comes these weird, like you said, little, little fragments of files that were stored back in the limbic system or the amygdala that is saying warning, danger, 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 danger. And so all they had to do was to get the teacher just stopped wearing the cologne and everything changed. Yes. So I I love when you're explaining that, that what happens is there's this trigger, this kind of visceral reaction and it's instantaneous. And it's usually because there's some type of similar scenario taking place. And you related that to what Will Smith did when he went up and slapped Chris Rock because- tell the audience why so so with that and I have to you know preface this with have I examined Will Smith no no have I spoken to him no so so this is my hypothesis yes um and and uh but knowing understanding trauma the way that I do uh, having worked for so many years with uh, traumatic, you know, scenarios with patients, understanding my own trauma, doing, uh, becoming even more trauma informed long after, you know, medical school and, and taking courses in it. And so, so really understanding it on a, on a deeper level, um, that, that, and people talk about, oh, he was laughing. He was laughing. You know, he laughed at the joke. Well, people um, can have nervous laughter. We don't know why he was laughing. He might've actually found it funny. He may have already been feeling a little nervous. He may have, but, but even in that moment, you know, Jada, his wife had this look on her face. She had this look on her face and it could be that that look was reminiscent of um, something for him that may have brought him back to his own childhood trauma when he was nine, witnessing his father horribly physically abuse his mother to the point where, you know, he beat her, he saw blood coming out of her mouth, you know, I mean, he talks about it in his autobiography, and I put a little excerpt in, in, in the post that I wrote. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to read it because I read Will's book. So I know exactly the incident you're referring. In that book, he said, as you wrote, when I was nine years old, I watched my father punch my mother in the side of the head so hard that she collapsed. I saw her split bud blood that moment in that bedroom probably more than any other moment in my life has defined who I am within everything that I've done since then the awards accolades spotlights and attention there has been a subtle string of apologies to my mother for my inaction that day for failing her in the moment for failing to stand up to my father for being a coward. And I remember in his book, he talked all about that, that even though he's achieved these many things in his life, the underlying theme of his life still is, I am a coward 
because I don't stand up for the people that I love. Mm-hmm. Right. And this, you know, seeing Jada's response that she was visibly upset by, by this and, and whether it was her own trauma, whether it was her just anger, frustration, what have you, you know, we can debate until the cows come home on this because we don't know. We frankly don't know, but we do know that she had a look on her face that, that was not, she, the indicate she was upset that she was upset by what had just been said by Chris Rock and, and for, for uh, Will that could very well have brought up, oh my gosh, and not even a conscious way. Once again, this is, this is, and it it occurs in a split second. It really does. It's not uh, that accessing of those kind of, you know, memories occurs on an unconscious or subconscious level. So it's not as if he, but he may have said, oh, okay, this is what I see. I'm going to go up and, and smack him and implode my career. Um, you know, that's, you know, it, it is very much that here, the woman he currently loves, his wife was in distress and he um, was not able to protect the woman he loved as a nine-year-old. And that's as you said, his driving force, one of his driving forces, you know, that everything he does is with that in mind. And so when that is so deeply embedded in the actions that you take, and then there's an incident where, you know, you, you keep in mind, he's at the Oscars. This is the first time he's, you know, Academy Award winner, you know, this, that he's up for this and this is, and and looking like he's going to win the amount of stress and adrenaline already, that's already, you know, playing havoc probably with his, you know, neural networks. Right. And, and, you know, who knows if he, if he, how much alcohol he may or may not have had. I don't know. I don't know that, but, but we, we know that they serve alcohol at these events. I, so a lot of things could have come together to make it a very fertile ground for this incident to happen in the split, in a split second. Yeah. And you and I know enough about the brain and I know a lot about the amygdala because the amygdala is the part of my brain that fires when I have a panic attack. And the reason it feels like it's coming out of the blue is because I don't know if you even know this for sure, but, uh, or have read this, but the amygdala fires in one fourteenth of a second. Mm. Yes. So that's why you you're getting these subtle clues but your amygdala, the amygdala is the fight, fight, or flee, or right. sorry, fight, flight, or freeze part of the brain, right? So you're either going to flee the situation when you're under distress, you're going to fight in the situation, or you're going to freeze up. And so when the amygdala fires that fast, it, it, it purposely has shut down any reasoning whatsoever that you have. Your prefrontal cortex, your ability to logically reason and think is completely gone because that part of the brain is trying to react to this situation. And yeah. so I, I, I just think that's further evidence that he really did have a split second reaction where he went into fight mode 
Right. And his survival we, brain kicked in. Yes. His survival brain kicked in. And this is, this is, you know, what I was speaking to a little bit earlier. Our bodies are wired for, our brains are wired for connection and survival, right? And, and, uh, and here, you know, he's seeing this, this split second, or he's having this split second reaction, seeing his wife, whom he's connected to, and, and, and her level of distress, and it's accessing that, that past trauma, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it's likely accessing that, you know, so that all of his survival brain kicked in. Absolutely. Our survival brain is all about fight, flight, uh, freeze or fawn response. Mm, so, right you know, fawn, yeah. so, so, you know, the, he reacted with a fight response. Now, of course, Chris Rock has, uh, we know an extensive trauma history also, and, you know, could his response, he handled it beautifully and he's done a lot of inner work and at the same time, could his response be looked at as uh, also a trauma response that might have been a freeze response? Um, even though he didn't freeze in that moment, there were elements of, you know, with the shock and, and oh, yeah. but he, yeah. he brought himself around and out of it pretty, very quickly. Yeah, because yeah. I was reading about him. He was actually, I did not realize this. He was... Uh, sent to a, a kind of a prestigious white school where um, he was extremely bullied all through school. And in fact, um, I think was unenrolled and then re-enrolled in, in another school or something, but like he had suffered really terrible bullying behaviors all through his K through 12 school years. I did not know that about Chris Rock. Um, you probably know more about his traumatic background than I do. But um, yeah, I would say that he also had a reaction, which was probably, um, you know, either fawn or freeze. I think we saw a little bit of, of both. Right. I would agree. I would agree. Those two. Absolutely. And and so so his his uh, ability to to recover oh. uh, quickly probably has a lot to do with, you know, he's also talked about the fact that he has worked with a, a, a therapist and he's talked about that publicly um, and, and to, to deal with a, a lot of his trauma. And so, you know, the point being that these kind of reactions have the potential to reside within all of us. Yes. None of us as human beings walking the planet earth are, are um, not going to have trauma of some sort exist within our histories. Yes, yes, I agree. And I thought you were, you also stated like you are in no way, no way condoning this as a free pass that, oh, well, okay, we'll have this trauma. So that's why he reacted. So we just need to have compassion for him. You clearly stated you know, that does having a history of trauma give a free pass to present day trauma reactions? You said, no, of course not. Of course it doesn't, but it does highlight the importance of understanding trauma, you said, and its many manifestations and helping us understand, you know, that obviously Will Smith has more work to do on himself, just like you and I and every other human being walking the planet but um, I'm sure knowing Will Smith, just in what I know of him, what I've read about 
how he seems to really always be willing to go in and work on his hard stuff. I think it's just a big red flag to him that there is some stuff in there that needs to be further explored. Right. One of the things that I always say when I was, you know, working with my patients psychiatrically now, even with my, my coaching clients, um, is that if you have a reaction that seems out of proportion to the situation, that it's, there's history, there's past history, you're not reacting to the present moment, you're reacting to the past, and you're bringing that past forward into this moment, and reacting from that space. And, and so, um, when, when we find ourselves really overwhelmed with, with uh, an emotion, even with anger, you know, when we get angry with someone. Um, yes, there are times when our anger can absolutely be justified. However, I, I try to, and, and I, I'm a work in progress around this myself for sure, but, uh, but I really try to, for myself and, and remind my clients to look at that as an opportunity because that's a light being shi uh, shining on an aspect of you that might need healing, might need, you know, to be introspective and look at that. That's very true. And I think the courageous question there becomes, are you willing, are you willing to do the work rather than avoid the work? Yes. And I love that you use the word courageous because it does take courage. It does take courage to, to go and do that inner work because it's not easy. It's yeah. not easy because even though we are not responsible for the traumas that happen to us as children, as adults, we are responsible for healing them. That is we one of my favorite quotes right now. Yes, you are not, your past trauma is not your fault, but your responsibility in healing yourself now as an adult is. Yeah, so if you don't, if you don't do the work, uh, then, then that's on you, you know? And, and that's really the whole point of the article was about shining. It was much less about, you know, Will Smith and Chris Rock. It was, that was a, a great and very public example that I think yes. a lot of people could uh, resonate with and, and see, and of course, you know, all kinds of camps and this and that and debate and what have you. But, but the point of the article was really to look at that as a jumping off point of, okay, what's going on inside you? And that's why I gave such varied examples of what trauma can look like, a traumatic experience can look like, as well as how it can manifest in a person's life, right? And, and because in that, and I think, you know, um, like I was telling you before, this, this, what started off as a, you know, Facebook post on my personal wall that got shared, you know, to other places and other groups. And then 30 some thousand times, right? 30,000 times it's been, you know, shared from, you know, uh, someone else's wall um, and uh, who, you know, she put it on her public feed and it just got shared. And then, you know, it's an article on Kevin MD and it got shared 11,000 times. And so, I mean, it, it, the reason I think it's gotten shared and gone viral in that sense is because people see themselves in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Everything and, we've and, talked about, it's like, I can see it with yeah. my husband and I and how we navigate our relationship. And, you know, um, sometimes he'll have a reaction to me and I'm like, I'm dealing with six-year-old Scotty Strobel. And I know that I, but, but I also, dude, I need you to work on that shit. Cause I want to deal with 50. Yeah. I want to deal with 56 year old Scott, you know, and same thing with me. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, I've really been able to identify some childhood patterns that play out in my relationship as an adult with my husband that aren't, yeah. aren't helpful. And so, you know, I'm doing my work with my counselor because I know that my husband deserves a better version of Kim than six-year-old Kim, you know, right. and Kim deserves a better version yes. than six-year-old Kim. Yeah. Very, very, yeah. Very good. Absolutely. Well, mm -hmm. I'm also going to drop that article in my show notes because it really is a wonderfully written I think, like you said, you're not even sure where it came from because it's just like spiritually, like divinely led, right? Like, yes. I don't know, something I like it was just something that, you know, the world is so traumatized, you know, for so many reasons with the pandemic and the war in the Ukraine. And then, you know, all of the things before that, you know, all of the racial disparities, all of, you know, the events that we've had over the past, you know, George Floyd, I mean, all of these things that have been so traumatic to us as human beings, that trauma needs to be recognized and healed within us, right? And so that is something that is 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 so important. And that's really, you know, what what the article speaks to. Please look within yourself. And if you need help with that, seek out services. You know, you know, for for me uh, with my clients, because now I, I I coach physicians and other high achievers, right, in in their areas around perfectionism and workaholism and, and things that I know very personally, right. So, um, but uh, but yes, I, I I coach them around that, and I use not just coaching. I'm a certified executive coach. I use that aspect. And I use um, emotional freedom techniques or EFT tapping yeah, and exactly. that, yes. So I'm, I'm trained in that. I've been doing that for over a decade now and, and that, and I've, I've taken, you know, specialized training in that. And so uh, a trauma-informed approach to that. So, so when people have these stuck patterns, even if it's not violent, even if it's not uh, a substance abuse kind of thing, even if it's not that, maybe it's, geez, I want to stop working, you know, 80 hours a week. And I don't know how, because um, it's ruining my marriage or, you know, I want to stop being, feeling like I have to be perfect because I see I'm doing it to my child and, yeah. and they are feeling like, oh, they have to do everything perfect now. Yeah. And, and it's causing them to not want to try new things or feel like if I don't get a perfect, then I'm not even going to do it, mom, you know? So these types of things, you know, I use EFT to help my clients really look at those patterns of behavior, break them down and, and, and um, release those. 
Well, okay. So I have several thoughts. Um, and I think I told you this at the beginning of the interview, but I am creating something called the Leadership Academy. And it's for people in leadership who I feel like many times um, I'm, I'm starting with school principals and uh, anybody who's in school administration, because I feel like they're kind of the, the middle child. And you said something that kind of blew my mind at the beginning of this conversation before I hit record, but you said that the higher higher up you go what was that statement that the more isolated the more isolating it is yeah Yeah. the the more isolating it is um so i know that as part of that leadership academy one of the topics is overcoming stress and anxiety in that whole perfectionism piece so i've made so many notes i know i'm gonna i'm you're going to have to be my coach for that module for those people (laughs) Not that I can't coach them some, but I, I, I feel like your, your level of expertise and what you have to offer that is great. But for people who are listening, who are like, you know what, I, I'm who she's talking about. I need her help. Where do I get in contact with her? I want you to tell my people, but we're also going to drop all your links in the show notes as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. So people can reach out to me um, on LinkedIn. uh, Absolutely. Um, I'm on Instagram, you can, but you can message me certainly on on LinkedIn, I do free consultations for people. So you have a uh, website, right? Um, you know, I don't because I've been referral based. I know. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. Girl, you saved yourself like $300,000. I know. Right. But people come to me, you know, it's like, like, okay. uh, Oh my gosh. I've just done a $30,000 overhaul on my website for the 17th time. I know. And, and, you know, I, I, I might, I keep saying, Oh yeah, I should do that. And I, I it's probably time, you know, it's time, but, but <laughs> you know, know that it's word of mouth that's working for you. Right. right you know, and, and because I really, um, I, I, I work one-on-one with people I've done groups, you know, at the beginning of COVID, for example, I did, um, uh, groups with physicians, uh, um, that where I did actually tapping, I did EFT mm. tapping in, in this group to process the overwhelm, mm. overwhelming emotions that they were having, the fears, all of those kinds of things. But I really look at emotions as our superpower. Mm. Emotions will guide you either when you're feeling that it's an unpleasant emotion it's a guidepost to look at, okay, what am I thinking? How am I behaving that is not in alignment with who I actually want to be? Okay. This is where this is, you know, that's where, so I'll drop your email that way. They can also directly email. Yes, absolutely. So my email, my, my LinkedIn, my Insta, absolutely. We'll give all of that to them. That way they, they do have your information. Oh my gosh. I mean, I knew this would be yeah, this, this is powerful. And, and, and I know it's long, but it's like, I think it's so meaty. There's just so many tidbits. And I like, I think that we both did a good job of like relating how that has surfaced in your life and how it's surfaced in my life as well. And so understanding that trauma is just part of the fabric that is woven into us as human beings but that the power lies in being able to identify it and then work to overcome and create like new neural pathways in the brain. So we're not reacting that way all of the time. So 
Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate your expertise and just your honesty and your vulnerability. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's just such a pleasure. You know, I think when we can be honest and vulnerable ourselves, it allows other people to be that way, even if it's with themselves for the very first time. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for joining me on the She Finds Joy show today. I'm so honored that you chose to listen to this episode. As always, this conversation will be continued in my free private Facebook group called She Finds Joy. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other people just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we drop a new episode every other Wednesday. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to kimstrobel.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcast where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down just a little bit, you can leave a five-star review and write a few sentences letting me know what you thought. It's so very important to get people to leave a review for my podcast. The reviews help me get higher on the iTunes list, and that will show up when people are searching for a new podcast, and it will really help us get new subscribers. So if I could ask one little favor for you just to go to kimstrubble.com forward slash review, give us a review and give us a comment and let us know what's been helpful. Thank you so much for listening in. I am really honored to be a part of this community with you.